Alright, so last week we started a new series, and uh, it's called Exodus, and we spoke about how God brings us freedom uh, from Egypt, right? And we were speaking about how God is not just bringing us freedom so that we can step out of slavery, and then we can become slave owners. You know, we're not supposed to have freedom so that we go from being the oppressed to being the oppressor. And the reason why I said that is because I feel like quite often we get this sense of what freedom is based on who has had power over us or what situation has had power over us. So if you used to be in poverty, you feel like being rich is what being free is about. You know, if you have been uh, abused, you feel like you need to be in control of your life in order that you will never be abused again. And that's what freedom is all about. And there are certain elements of that that is true, perhaps in our culture, in our world, we need certain things to, uh, to survive. But true freedom doesn't come from our definitions that come from Egypt. True freedom comes from our defi- uh, through the definitions of what God says is freedom, right? And so today, I hope that we will be going from a bit of a journey, uh, and we're going to understand this whole idea of freedom from, and hopefully we land on an understanding of what freedom to looks like. So we have freedom from, we have freedom to, and that's what we're going to describe today. And uh, uh, to use a main passage for this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. And this is where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Awesome message, isn't it? Uh, Just like in the middle as well, just a little plug. Uh, In a couple of weeks, we start a series called Sons and Daughters. We're going to be talking about the doctrine of adoption. We're going to be talking, and I guess most of you know, uh, our family story where we have had to uh, understand and go through a lot about what adoption looks like practically. But more than that, it has opened our eyes up to reading the understanding of adoption differently from the Bible. Maybe not differently, but maybe richer. There's a richness of our understanding regarding adoption. And so we want to bring those two together. And I hope that we are able to paint uh, a, a more complex but a more beautiful picture of what adoption is. And, uh, and so I'm really excited for that. And, and, but today we go on to talk about if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Say amen. So good, isn't it? What does that freedom look like? Let's look into it. Uh, this week I was um, browsing through Instagram. I follow a few different people. And I follow this theologian who decided that it would be really fun to, um, to poke a bit of fun at um, a culture called the woke culture. Has anyone heard of woke culture? Especially in America, massive. Uh, and, and I feel like it's trickling into Australia. And the basis of the woke culture is, is that y- we are awake to social injustices. And so the basis of the woke culture is amazing. I think that we should all be, as Christians, extremely woke um, to what is happening in our world when a person is being oppressed, when a person is suffering great injustices, then we should be stepping in. However, the work culture that is predominant in the world today uh, has this more loose understanding of what injustice is. And so injustice, according to the woke culture of this day and age, is that whenever anyone feels as though their freedoms of expression is being impinged upon, that is an injustice that needs to be corrected. 
So if a woman dresses uh, fully dressed from head to toe, where they show absolutely no skin, um, that is called oppression by the males, apparently. And so that is something that needs to be fought against, and the opposite of it is that women should be able to walk absolutely naked through the whole world, apparently. And if you have a viewpoint that is different from the work culture, you are a bigot, a person of no understanding, and you're simply a stupid person. That is what the work culture says. Anyway, in America, it's huge. People get cancelled and all that kind of stuff. I don't really want to talk too much more about that. Uh, But this theologian um, decided that he would kind of maybe interact with this culture by coming up with this uh, character called Woke Jesus. He's actually set up a whole Instagram account for Woke Jesus, and he kind of puts in what Woke culture might think that Jesus would say, okay? So some of these possibly to you might be slightly jarring. I hope it's jarring because this is actually not what Jesus says, uh, but it does make you think. So the first one, can we put up those pictures? Is the PowerPoint going to work? There we go. It's, oh, it's a bit small, but let me read it to you. So work Jesus sitting with his disciples saying, my disciples, have you noticed I haven't said anything about abortion? That's because I don't have a problem with it. I also didn't say anything about rape, incest, war, monopoly, pollution, and hitting yourself on the head with a tack hammer, all of which are totally fine as well. (laughs) And we have this sense like, oh, Jesus didn't say it, so we're allowed to do it. Yeah, Jesus didn't say a lot of things because it comes from the heart of the Bible. I like how woke Jesus went to a person and says, your feelings have saved you. (laughs) Go in peace. That's amazing. Next one. If anyone desires to come after me, I like this one, let him improve his self-esteem, fill his life with comfort, and do everything that makes him happy. Mm. You guys are not really laughing. (laughs) This is meant to be quite funny. I was having a good old laugh at this. And Jesus having a good laugh with one of his disciples. I suffered so you don't have to suffer. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) All right. And... I'm just going to stop there because there, there's so many of them, and I think that it really does make you think. But in particular, those last two uh, about, about desiring to follow Jesus, what does following Jesus look like? When I was looking at that one, I was like, ooh, because suddenly I realized that some part of me thinks that following Jesus improves me and so makes me a happier person. And this whole idea of Jesus coming to you and saying, I've suffered, so you don't have to, sounds so benevolent and amazing, but unscriptural. How many know what Jesus said? If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The theme there is death, self-death. If you want to follow me, die. Not improve your self-esteem, kill your ego. The opposite. And what does he say? In this day and age, you will face persecutions of many kind. And I saw, I was thinking about this. Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Free indeed to what? Die to self? To suffer? That doesn't really sound very appealing. I don't know about you. How many of you will come, someone comes up here and says, come follow me and let's die together. You'll be like, no, crazy person. I'm going to put you in a mental hospital for a little bit. I mean, back in the day, I, I remember, uh, let's not go there. <laughs> I was just going to say there was a person that said, let's go and sail through the Antarctic and we're probably going to die. But who wants adventure? And a whole bunch of people signed up. Crazy. 
Uh, we don't do that anymore. We ask for insurance <laughs> and say, if I die, you're paying me five times that my life is worth anyway. But we, we, why would we follow Jesus if Jesus' promises aren't that great? I'm just putting it out there. Why are you here? Why are you crazy people decide to give every Sunday morning, you know, give 10% of your income to Jesus, and then he says, you will suffer. <laughs> oh, this is a bit scary. And I started to think about this. I, I started to wonder about what Jesus' definition of freedom is. Right? Because if you thought about what freedom means in our Western culture, you would probably think about freedom being rights, choice, and privilege. Am I right? When I have freedom, I exercise choice. When I have freedom, I get to do what I want. And as I was thinking about this, I was, I was going like, okay, so Jesus sets me free, then I get all of these things, right? And as I was thinking about how to bring this message across to you, God reminded me, I feel like God reminded me of a, a specific incident in my life, which I hope really paints this picture for you. I was um, finishing off my national service. I'd spent about two years in Singapore. It was the last week or so uh, before I was going to come back to Perth, and I was extremely excited. Two years in national service was hell. It was crap. It was, don't do it, all right? <laughs> it's like, if you've got money, don't do it. Anyway, none of you guys are Singaporean, so, or of enlistable age, so you don't, if you're listening in Singapore, get out. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm going to get like, someone's going to fly over, I'm going to get in trouble but I'm Australian now, you can't get me. <laughs> Freedom of speech. Um, and so it was two years, it was up, I was about to come back to Perth, I was really excited. Two years in the army, felt like I had put pause on my life, I was ready to go to uni, I was ready to get back into church life, I was ready to, you know, I already had uh, a sense that God was calling me to work in the church in some kind of capacity. Uh, in, in that day and age, I thought I wanted to be a youth pastor, I was gearing up to that. And so I was looking forward to that, but I was in this tiny little window where the army did not own me anymore, which is a good thing. And uh, I had gotten my IDs back from the army because when I was in the army, they gave me a different kind of identification card which told everyone that I was serving time for something that I did not believe in. And um, so we exchanged uh, ID cards. I now had my normal Singaporean identification. I could do whatever I wanted. I was free. And so I had, um, over the time, I had uh, made a whole bunch of friends or, and reconnected with some old friends as well from before we migrated, and a couple of them over my time in Singapore had slowly walked away from God. It was not a great um, situation. There were certain hurts. There were certain things that took place, and so they were quite estranged from uh, the church, quite estranged from God, uh, but I hung out with them because they were nice people. They were great people, and, um, and they also went clubbing all the time as well as all of my friends in the army, well, not all, but quite a number of friends, whenever we got back to our army camp on a Sunday evening and talked about what we did in the two days that we were given outside the camp, they would be like, yep, splurge all my money on alcohol and go into the clubs. And over time, there was this, uh, like while I was actually still serving time in national service, I never wanted to go to clubs. For me, it was like, no, you guys are stupid. I don't have money to do all that stuff. Um, I, I, and I also felt like it was my responsibility as a Christian to live a different way from people, and so I did. But here I was in this window of time where I was not tied to my army days and neither was I back in Perth. And I felt like I had this weird freedom 
what do I want to do? I can do whatever I want. Uh, I can exercise my freedom because, you know what, even if it goes badly, it is, you know, this one week and then I go back to Perth, right? Now, I didn't have anything in my mind that was really desperately wrong or, or evil. I just wanted to express, or sorry, experience what the clubs are like. So I spoke to my two friends. I said, let's go to clubs. Uh, I want to experience this. This is like my one, like my one time I'm going to go, experience it. There's a part of me that thought, I'm going to hate this because I don't like dancing. Dancing is stupid. You move your body around a little bit and like, ha ha, you're so good. Uh. Um, I don't like it. I prefer music. And music is also like, music in the clubs is kind of like, you know, they, they kind of random lyric generator. And I like, press go and like, um, let go, get drunk, and let's have a good time all week long. Let's not sleep. I don't know. Stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of what I think the club songs are like. So I see, I needed to experience to understand it. So I spoke to my friends and I was like, let's, you know, let's go. And at first they were a little bit like, you sure? You sure you want to do this? And they're like, all right, all right let's do this. They, they were like, all right, your last, your final request kind of a thing. <laughs> and so um, the day came or the evening came and, and uh, we met up and um, they took me to a bar which, you know, at that time, I don't really go to bars either. Um, and so we went to a bar, got ourselves a drink, and we were just chatting, having fun. And in my mind, I was like, awesome, you know? We're just, you know, chilling because the clubs don't open till like midnight, right? That's how it kind of works. That's when the fun happens, I don't know. So we're just in the bar, chilling out. And then after a while, we, uh, they said, let's play pool. I was like, okay, let's play pool. So we played pool. And I was like, something's up. Something's not quite working. The plan is not coming together. And so I asked them outright, when are we going to the club? Um, and they're like, oh, let's just early, let's just play pool. So we play pool. I'm like, Guys, when are we going? And finally, after a while, they said, you know, Nate, we're not going to clubs because you don't belong there. And they said, we are tainted, you are untainted. You don't belong there. We're not taking you there because you don't need to go there. That's not a place for you. And you know what I felt in the moment? <laughs> you are taking away my freedom of choice. <laughs> Correct? Someone had just made a decision on my behalf. Isn't that taking away my choice? And I was actually a little bit frustrated, disappointed, angry, Weirdly relieved, but at the same time, I was like, what is going on? Why do you get to make a choice on my behalf? And it wasn't only till like quite a while later as I was thinking about this, and I think God brought this back to mind. I was like, did they take away my freedom of choice or were they protecting my freedom of choice? Is your freedom being impinged upon or is it being protected? You see, when freedom becomes all about the choices that you want to make, it makes it all about how you feel. How do you feel today? I don't feel free. I mustn't be. I don't feel good. I mustn't be. I don't feel energetic. I mustn't be. I don't feel alive. I mustn't be. I feel depressed. There mustn't be hope in this world. There's this whole sense where our feel, how we feel has become such a gauge for how we are that sometimes our freedoms are attached to things that float and change as the weather does. 
Do you know that there's something that to do with the weather that when it hits winter, a whole bunch of people feel more depressed? My wife is one of them. Somehow, summer makes her so much better. Of, no, I'm not a better person. <laughs> she comes alive. Summer is like her season. She's like, let's go out. Let's go do stuff. Winter comes, she's rugged up in 15 different blankets and going like, let's not go anywhere. <laughs> the weather changes you. Does that mean that your freedoms change? You see, what we need to understand is that freedom without a hinge is extremely dangerous. Freedoms without a hinge makes people do stupid things and hurtful things. Think about all the stupid decisions you made. That was because you decided to exercise your freedom of choice based on how you felt. Whereas when Jesus was talking about this whole idea of when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, He was saying freedom in the, def the def definition of freedom in this passage is that you cease to be a slave. When the sun causes you to cease being a slave, you definitely aren't a slave. That's what he is saying. The definition of freedom is hinged to what you are being freed from. And what is Jesus saying that you're being freed from? You're being freed from sin. Whoever sins is a slave to sin. That's what it says in John chapter 8. So Jesus is saying that his freedom is freedom from slavery to sin. This is extremely important. So let's say... I borrowed Sam's favorite lamb once again. Uh, this represents us because um, the Bible says that we all like sheep have gone astray, all right? So we are all sheep, and this sheep represents us. And so what happens is we are in slavery to sin, okay? This is what slavery to sin possibly looks like, cage. You're in prison, you can't get out um, because you're a dumb little soft toy. And <laughs> this is what happens. And so this is a representative of Egypt, if you will, right? This is us in slavery to sin. We can't go anywhere. Jesus comes and he sets us free. Now, listen to this. Look at this. If we then choose as our freedom of choice to be in here, slave or free? Slave. Sorry, it should be upside down. If we choose to go back into the cage, slave or free? Jesus has saved us from slavery. Our freedom is in regards to slavery to sin. If we choose to go back in the cage, we are still slaves. We have to understand that God is not trying to take away your fun. He is not trying to take away your freedom of choice. He's trying to protect your freedom of choice because when we are in the cage, over time we are going to start to find that there's not a lot of places that we can go and there's not a lot of things that we can do. I look back to my friends and as much as they were protecting me, I see that they saw themselves as tainted goods that belong in dark places. How sad is it that there are people in this world who think and they talk as though that they are having fun, but deep down on the inside, they go, I'm tainted. I'm broken. I don't deserve the freedom that you have, Nate. And I'm looking at myself, the good Christian boy, and going like, why are you taking away my freedom of choice? I want to be in there with you. <laughs> How stupid are we? Oh, look at that cage. What a wonderful cage where depravity is. 
Let me be in there with you. No. Alcohol has a very simple message. I will make you feel better. And then you keep leaning into alcohol. What happens? You get trapped by alcohol. Drugs, sex, pornography. All of these has a message. Just have fun. Just live your best life. You're in a cage, dang it. And Jesus says that I have come to set you free and so that you are no longer in the cage. And then so the Bible teaches us how not to live in the cage. And so when we go back to the Exodus story, the Exodus story goes, and I started to explain this last week, uh, they, 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 they were taken out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, and they made their trek to a place called Mount Sinai, where God gives them the Ten Commandments, right? They actually stay at Mount Sinai for a whole year. It took them maybe two months to get to Mount Sinai. They stayed at Mount Sinai for a whole year. Mount Sinai is extremely significant because Mount Sinai is about the time that God was starting to train the Israelites to be a new nation. He took them out of slavery, trek across the desert for a couple of months, proves to them that he's going to feed them and provide for them and, and ensure that their life is going to be intact because God is their protector. And then he says, do you want to be my God? Uh, sorry, do you want to be my people and I will be your God? That's what he basically says to them. We talked about it being a marriage covenant. And, and the people say, this is good because God is actually really awesome. And so let's follow him. And so let's sign this marriage covenant. And this marriage covenant is not just about a whole bunch of regulations. It is a marriage vow. It is them saying, I am going to live in a way that you continue to be my God and I will continue to be your people. That is what Sinai represents. They spent a whole year there. For some people that struggle with this, you think that God's love should be unconditional, right? Let me say to you, God's love is unconditional, but our relationship with Him is conditional. Let me put it this way. When you go to a wedding, and there's this amazing wedding, and these two uh, people are getting married, and it's so beautiful, and you know that they love each other, the love for each other is unconditional, but there's still something called the vows. If their love is unconditional and so amazing, why do they need to say vows? It's because they still need to commit to one another and behave in a way where their love is committed to one another. Imagine one half of the couple say, you know, I vow to be your lawfully wedded spouse, to have and to hold in good times and bad, till death do us part. That is my vow to you. And the other party just says, thank you. <laughs> Think about it, right? You go to this... What do you think every other person in the crowd would say? Run away! Run! But I love you. Are you going to say any vows? No, you said it all. It's nice. Thank you. God's love is unconditional, but His relationship is conditional. How we actually stay close to God is conditional on whether we are going to come as close to God as He is going to come to us. Draw closer to me and I will draw closer to you. Why does God make that a condition? Because that's how relationships work. And so I love that God spent time a whole year trying to massage this conditional relationship. All relationships are conditional. 
all are. All can have an unconditional aspect. I have unconditional love for Sam. But if he doesn't grow up, if he doesn't learn manners, if he doesn't learn how to feed himself, there could be some issues. <laughs> if he doesn't learn gratitude, if he doesn't learn how to say his please and thank yous, if he doesn't learn how to contribute to family, he's going to get it. Why? Not because I hate him, but because I love him. I'm training him up for life. And so God takes the time to do this. And what we have in the New Testament is Jesus comes and he summarizes the Ten Commandments. And he summarizes it saying that two key commandments, all of the prophets and the law hangs on these two commandments. Do you guys know what it is? Is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second it is, love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22. And so he gives these two, and he says that all of the Lord, the prophets, all of that conditional relationship that we have with God is linked to these two thoughts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I want to show you something that I'm developing called the freedom cycle. If we want to understand what Christ has set us free to, He has set us free, I believe, to the freedom cycle. All right, And the freedom cycle has three main parties to it. There is God, there's me, and there's others. It kind of summarizes every other single human being because all of us have a relationship with God, all of us have a relationship with others. That is the whole universe. God, me, others, all right? And so what I have started to understand is that the freedom cycle has a, a, a bit of a cycle to it. Now, this is a bit too simplistic. There are other things that happens. But the first thing that I want to point out in the freedom cycle is that when we are, are living in sin, we are separated from God. That's what the Bible says. And when Christ sets us free, we now have a relationship with God, and this relationship with God is bonded primarily by love, God's love for us. That arrow represents God's love. When we are sinners, God proves His love by dying on the cross to bring us into relationship with Him. So the first thing I want to point out about the freedom cycle is that we receive God's love. When we receive God's love, what we are actually receiving is much more than just a tingly feeling. You might feel it, you might not. There are times that I don't feel like God loves me, but I know God loves me. How do I know that God loves me? It's because He's proven it at the cross. Kind of simple, but also sometimes very difficult, isn't it? But what I know is that my worth, my value, and my identity comes from this first arrow. When I understand God's love, I understand who I am. How do you determine the value of something? How much someone pays for it. It's kind of simple. If you go to Gumtree and you want to sell something that you own, you might have an idea of what it is worth. But what it ultimately is worth is how much someone else ends up paying for it. So I might say that this lamb is worth a million dollars. I said, that's what it is worth. But in actual fact, it's probably worth nothing. I don't know who's going to buy this little lamb. It has a sentimental value and Sam loves it, etc. But if you're talking about a real concrete sense of dollar sense of worth, this lamb is probably not worth much at all. 
In the same way, we understand our worth by how much God is willing to pay for us. What does the Bible say that God pays for us? With His life. My worth is God's life. I want you to say it to yourself. My worth is God's life. I'm not saying you're God. Take it back there. But my worth is God's life. My worth is God's life. So why am I upset when someone who I don't know on Facebook says something stupid to me? When my life is worth God's life. And so my worth and my value is attached to how much God has paid for me. He has paid it all. And so my worth is amazing. My worth is amazing. God died for me. If that doesn't stir something up in you, you don't understand what God has done for you. God paid it all even when I was still His enemy. He died for me. And so that gives me a sense of who I am. And what does Jesus then say? He says the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that is very important because when I know who I am, I start to treat other people in a different kind of a way. I am able to love others because God loves me. When you take away this first arrow, you are not able to love other people well because you do not know your worth. I have sat with many people who have the right intentions of trying to help other people. I was sitting with one person in particular, and this person said, I will give all that I am and all that I have to help other people. And I was like, that's a very noble thought. What about yourself? Oh, I don't matter. I don't matter. No, no, I'm willing to give all of this up because this is tainted and rubbish. Whereas I want to help other people so that they don't feel like me. And I asked this person, how do you know how the other person is supposed to be when you don't even know how you're supposed to be? How are you supposed to advise the other person on life and love when you do not know life and love yourself? How are you supposed to signpost to other people when you are signposting that you are nothing? How sad it is that people would give up themselves in order to help other people when they don't understand that, no, 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 God loves you. I can point to other people and still be giving off myself, but it comes from a place of knowing that life, my life is with God. This temporary life is, I can give. It depends on what God wants me to give because I've given myself to God. Anyway, we can't love others well if we are not loved ourselves. And so that first arrow is extremely important. And then me, the, the interesting thing about all of this, as I started to read the Bible and understand it, is that when we love others well, we are actually loving God well. You see, when um, Jesus told a parable, um, the parable of the sheep and the goats, I've got my notes there. I don't want to look at it right now. But the parable of the sheep and the goats, he talks about the judgment day. And he separates the sheep from the goats. And then he says to the sheep, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter the fullness of your inheritance. 
Listen to this. Because God loves us, He has prepared an inheritance for us. The whole doctrine of adoption comes back to this understanding that there is an inheritance that we can receive from Father God because He's brought us into His inheritance line. Very exciting. We'll talk about it next month. And, and, so, and so God says, well done. You are able to enter the fullness of your inheritance because of how you have loved me. And then God goes on to say to these sheep, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison or sick, you came and visited me. And how do those sheep respond to God? They, they say to God, God, when have we ever done any of those things? And then God says, when you've done to the least of these brothers and sisters, you have done for me. See, the freedom cycle is kind of simplistic, but I think it's also kind of beautiful. And when you understand this cycle of love, you know, there are other things. We can love God by worshiping Him. We can love God um, through spending time with Him. That's all important as well. But God also wants this other part of the cycle to be complete. And when I was looking at this, I started to see that sin takes you out of this cycle. Sin will take you out of this cycle. I believe that one of the most common ways that sin works is that sin says, you look after you. Sin says, your freedom of choice, you need to look after you. You need this, you need that. And you start to remove yourself from that space of receiving God's love. And after some time, your ability to love others dries up. And so the all that the Bible teaches us is not to restrict you, but to keep you in the freedom cycle. To love God and to love others. To be loved and to love. I want to ask you a question that you might not like. But how are you going in the freedom cycle? Which arrow for you is not maybe as strong as the others? Which arrow has been compromised? Which arrow doesn't make sense to you? Because I believe that if you are living in the freedom cycle, all of these quite intuitively make sense. But if you're struggle with, struggling with any of these, it means that there is something that is stopping you from understanding God's love for you or how God wants you to love others. And if that's the case, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? If I can get the band up this morning. I want to I deal firstly with perhaps anyone in this room who has maybe made the decision or maybe you've never made a decision for Christ. That for you, Jesus was always about a bunch of laws and regulations and what does he have to do with me? Well, I'm here to explain to you that without Jesus, sin is a very powerful slave owner. Sin owns you. Sin makes sense in this world because this world is ruled by sin. But Jesus came that you don't have to be in that space where you have to fight for yourself, where you have to make things, make things work for yourself. 
where you have to be in control, where you have to, 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 to be perfect, where you have to be powerful. Christ takes that all away. He takes away the pain, the frustration of trying to make it by yourself. And God showed His love for you that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died on the cross for you. So this morning, if that is you, if you're in a place where you haven't accepted Jesus into your life, or maybe you pushed him away, can I lead you in a prayer? A prayer that will invite Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, to allow salvation back into your life, to kickstart the freedom cycle once again in your life. Everyone, please bow your heads. Close your eyes. Let's make this a private moment. And say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. Come be my Lord and my Savior. I know I'm a sinner, but I know that you've already washed me clean. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.